The title of this episode is, You've Got to Slow Down, A Future Minister's Education. When I finally decided to major in religion, the largest major on campus, I discovered that most of the majors sought to become full-time ministers. These preacher boys, as I referred to them, believed sincerely that God had called them to preach, and so majoring in religion, they felt, was the best path to achieving their goal. I was always amused by their response to ideas raised by teachers in the religion classes that challenged some of the beliefs about God or the Bible, beliefs shared by their congregations. When asked what they thought about these ideas, they, they would fidget in their chairs before responding. Sorry, professor, that won't preach, or that dog won't hunt at my church. Even those like me who were more interested in teaching in a college realized that in a Southern Baptist context, you might be called upon to serve the church by engaging in some form of ministry or pulpit supply and would find yourself walking the tightrope between blurting out what you really believe versus trying to be pastoral in the moment. To help prepare us as future ministers, the campus minister, Buddy Freeman, developed a program he called Ministerial Education Days. Each month, the area Southern Baptist associations, which consisted of a 20, 10 to 20 different churches, would offer their pulpits for religion majors from the college. These churches ranged in size from very small, less than 50, to several hundred. The largest churches tended to be the First Baptist Church in the association. More experienced students, generally seniors who had been serving in this capacity for a couple of years, would be assigned to the larger churches with more junior participants in the smaller ones. Given the size of the major and the number of students wanting to participate, we could be assigned to several associations on the same day. In addition to the experience of preaching, the churches gave us what they called love offerings, a collection of money to show their appreciation to the students and as struggling college students, appreciate it, we did. To make it fair, especially since everyone had to do the same work, we pooled the funds and split it evenly among the students who went out that day. It was always funny to watch the preacher boys as they went about preparing for their sermons. Some would stay in on a Saturday night before their preaching gig the following day. Those who didn't, or who forgot, they agreed to participate, would often go to one or more senior people Randy Kilby, who lived on my floor in the dorm, which colleges now call residence halls. Randy was an interesting character. Prior to coming to Lemoyne, he spent time working for a funeral home, which meant he had collected many white shirts and ties for the various funeral events. He was also a gifted public speaker and had spent a few years preaching in various churches, a skill he would later turn into a moneymaker as a motivational speaker. He could always tell the students who had not prepared because they would line up outside of Randy's door to get two things, a sermon outline and a tie. Apparently, funeral directors needed quite a few ties. While the topics of the sermons varied, the framework remained consistent. They included an introduction, three to four main points, a poem, and a conclusion. I prided myself on being able to develop my own sermons, so I never requested one from Randy and I had two ties and a blue blazer as part of my wardrobe. The Minister Education Day consisted of carpooling to the town where the churches were and dispersing to the churches we were assigned. The ministers or deacons of the church were required to assess how well our sermons went in terms of style and substance and report their findings back to Buddy. Where we preached in the following weeks was determined by the assessment we received. 
everybody would share the feedback on our sermons, and we were supposed to use that feedback as we prepared the next one. The one thing that we didn't know, but could easily surmise, was that our next assignment in terms of size of the congregation would be based on how well we'd been doing. If we got better at it, or we had a really great experience, we'd get the prime church with the largest congregation the next time you went out. During one of these ministerial education days, the association selected was to run one around the college. I was slated to preach at Boiling Springs Baptist Church. The name of the town might suggest to the uninitiated that this would be a little congregation in the middle of nowhere. You'd be wrong. Instead, it was the Baptist Church where the college was. Most of the con- congregants were employed by the college and several of them were my professors. I was terrified. What if my sermon sucked? What if I put everyone to sleep? How would that look to my professors? Would they think ill of me? My worry initially turned to vomit, but I reminded myself that I was a good student that could do this. I spent hours writing and rewriting the sermon all week until I ran out of time and was forced to type what I had. Yes, I said type. There were no personal computers then. If I needed to make changes, I would have to use a pen and hope that I could read the changes I made. Growing up in the Catholic Church, the Sermon of Homily was a small portion of the service. The emphasis was on the Mass. Not so in a Baptist church. Here, the Word of God was the central focus, with several readings from the Bible to set the context for the sermon, which usually lasted anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour. Oh, there were songs scattered throughout, sung by the choir, if there was one, and by the congregation. But the sermon was meant to provide some insight into how the biblical truths applied to their everyday lives. When it came to my turn, take my turn in the pulpit, I began the way I began every sermon, seeking to break the ice and lighten the mood. I was from Boston, and my accent sounded a bit strange on Southern ears. So I would begin. Folks have told me that two things characterize my sermons, my accent and my pace. In other words, I talk funny and I talk fast. But I've learned with practice to pronounce the letter R better and to moderate my speed. I discovered that if I spoke at the same pace my knees were knocking because of my fear, folks were usually able to follow along. That would usually generate a bit of polite laughter and allow me to calm my nerves. I was a manuscript preacher and not an extemporaneous one, which meant that I had written out my sermon completely and seldom strayed from the script. I would look up to make eye contact with the congregation as I went along, but the worst thing that could happen to me was to drop my sermon or have the pages get mixed up. Fortunately, that didn't happen on this day, a moment of grace for which I was thankful. I won't bore you with the details of the sermon. In truth, I don't really recall what I said. Instead, the most prominent part of my experience was the response. At the end of the service, the guest preacher would stand at the back of the church as the congregants filed out and folks would shake your hand and tell you how much they enjoyed your sermon. It was the polite thing to do, when, whether you meant it or not. And Southern churchgoers are nothing if not polite. The responses I received while standing there from my professors were encouraging, saying things like, that was a thought-provoking sermon, or you put that together really well. The funniest response came from an elder gentleman who made his way slowly to the back of the church. He was dressed all in white and had a broad-brimmed white hat. He used a cane to steady his gait, and he had a gracious smile on his face. He placed the cane on his arm as he reached out and took my hand in both of his. As he shook it, his demeanor became a bit more serious. Then he said, 
Son, I'm sure that what you preach was really fine. But you got to remember, boy, you're in the South. You're going to have to slow down. Then he smiled broadly and chuckled out loud. Apparently, the knee-knocking cadence I was relying on was going too fast for him. I promised I would do as he asked as he walked out the door. The most surprising response to my sermon came the next day. Buddy Freeman told me that during an administration meeting the following day, the academic vice president, Dr. Knox, who was also my philosophy professor, told the group that he attended the service at Boiling Springs Baptist and was proud of how high it performed, both in terms of content and delivery. He said that if the other students did as well as I did in their sermons, the college is doing an excellent, excellent job preparing its students to assume their ministerial roles. I was happy with the response, obviously, but the reward for doing a good job came the next time I went out on Ministerial Education Day. Instead of being assigned to a small church in the association, I was given the First Baptist pulpit. The same happened week after week for the rest of the year. Of course, since we rotated from association to association, I used the sermon I preached at Boiling Springs again and again. Why mess with perfection? Okay, maybe not perfection, but apparently pretty good. Besides, those people hadn't heard it before. The other benefit was that I found myself relying less and less on my manuscript, building public speaking skills that would come in handy later as a teacher, and for those times I'm asked to do pulpit supplies.